Welcome to the Sports Leadership Podcast, where leaders in sport get practical, relevant insight to help them take their leadership to the next level and become leaders worth following. Now for your hosts, Kevin DeShazo and Mark Hunchkin. Welcome to episode 15 of the Sports Leadership Podcast. I am your co-host, Kevin DeShazo of Culture Wins Championships and Fieldhouse Media, along with Mark Hodgkin of New Lion. And Mark, uh, I'm so excited. We are launching today our new series, uh, our first actual series, I guess, on the Sports Leadership Podcast, looking at the modern AD or the next generation athletic director. It will be a series of interviews uh, with current ADs, uh, who have been in the chair for a long time, ADs who have just been in that chair, maybe for a year or less, um, those in senior leadership and those who are aspiring to be a director of athletics in, in the college sports landscape. And our first interview uh, in this series is with Carter Henderson, Associate AD for Marketing and Communications at the University of Washington. And it's one that I think uh, listeners are going to absolutely love. It was a fascinating 45 minutes uh, with Carter, unpacking his wisdom, unpacking his experience. Um, just a really, really insightful interview. Mark, what were some of your favorite um, takeaways from our time with Carter? We probably could have talked to him for two more hours, uh, really, when, when we got down to it. It was just a great conversation. I mean, he's obviously somebody who's very intentional about the way he works, the way he approaches his position. Um, you know, we talk about that all the time about leading uh, with intentionality, but, um, you know, he's really somebody who exemplifies it, I think. And, you know, he had some great stuff about emotional intelligence and, and people being a really valuable resource, not only in college athletics, but, but really any leadership position. I thought that was, that was really great. Yeah, it was, you know, he, he really harped quite a bit on the value of emotional intelligence and how you treat people and, and that not much matters if you don't love people. And if you're not here to serve people, to equip people, uh, then it's not going to be a position or an industry that you're going to last very long in. So I think that was a really, um, it's not, that's not new, but that is something that I think people tend to overlook because we get so busy. And, and I love his take on, we talk about culture and, and there's so much turnover in, in college athletics and people switching positions and uh, some of that's good, some of that's bad, but talking about the value of culture and how you maintain that, how you instill that, the role of hiring in that. And again, just something that they are clearly very intentional about at the University of Washington of knowing what their culture is, knowing what they want it to be, um, and making sure they hire people that fit. It's not about hiring the most talented people. Um, it's about hiring the right people. And so I think that was, again, one of those things that we can make the big splash hire that's going to look, look good and be the sexy name, but do they fit in with our culture, whether that's a head coach or whether that's uh, an SID or someone in marketing. So I love their, their value on, on their culture and how much they, they fight to protect and build that culture. Yeah, and we get into a little bit about the ADs that he's had an opportunity to work for, what he's seen in them, um, what he's taken from them. Um, and, you know, we also get into a little bit of, uh, about his daily kind of ritual, which is always something I, I love to kind of talk about and, and hear about the things he does to work and, and balance all these things that he's got going on. So um, I think it was a really great conversation. Absolutely. So guys, listen to this episode, um, get out some pen and paper. You're going to want to take notes from what Carter Henderson at the University of Washington shares in episode 15 of the Sports Leadership Podcast. So I'm thrilled to welcome uh, my friend and the Associate AD for Marketing and Communications at the University of Washington, Mr. Carter Henderson. Carter, welcome. First ever, man. That's a lot of pressure. That is a lot of pressure. Don't screw this up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys thinking of me and a uh, big fan of what you do and um, honored to spend a little time to visit. I, I'm looking forward to it. 
I love it. Well, Carter, let's get, before we dig into some of the questions, let's just let people um, who, who may not know you, which I'm not sure that's legal. I mean, how can people not know uh, the legendary Carter Henderson of the great Northwest? Uh, but, but fill us in on, on who you are, right? So you're from Florida. You were at Jacksonville State for a bit. You've been at Washington for a while, have had a number of different roles at the University of Washington in athletics. So, so give us the one-minute version of, of who is Carter Henderson and what you do. Yeah, um, I, uh, so I did grow up in, in Florida, northeast Florida, Jacksonville area, uh, and uh, my dad was a high school basketball coach, and his dad was actually also a high school basketball coach. So I kind of grew up very much within the framework of organized team sports, and I probably didn't realize until later in life the impact that that had on me and, and my older brother too. So I was a hoops guy very much. So I uh, loved it growing up and I don't know how I avoided becoming a coach, but somehow I don't know that was a great decision or a terrible one. Some days I wonder, but I decided I wanted to get into administration um, and had some really, really awesome opportunities at the university of Florida. And then was lucky to go back home for me, which is Jacksonville and work at Jacksonville university. And then we took the left-hand turn and, and kept rolling out um, to Seattle here and in 2009. And so I've seen a tremendous amount of change here. I think even within the PAC, what was then the PAC 10 and has now become the PAC 12 and even locally here at, uh, at Washington and even in the city of Seattle. Um, so really, really fortunate, um, to, to have seen that career arc and have worked for some awesome leaders. I think specifically within the framework that you've established for this series, um, you know, for the, for the chance for me to learn from some of the people that I've had the chance to hear specifically at Washington, but also at Jacksonville and even at Florida, um, I feel really, really, really grateful. Carter, we talk a lot about kind of the series, especially about kind of the changing role. Do you think the role of the athletics director has changed even over your time um, in the profession? And if so, you know, how do you, how do you think the biggest changes are kind of taking shape? Yeah, it's such a it's such a great question, and I love this series that you guys are embarking on, and I really can't wait to hear specifically from the people who are currently or have been athletic directors. But I think from my purview, I think in some ways there's been some huge changes, um, and in other ways there hasn't been much change. And, and what I mean by that is at our heart, at our core, I really believe that college athletics departments are essentially – you know, I don't know if you say nonprofits, but certainly service organizations. And, and like any service organization or nonprofit, you have to be really aggressive about understanding your business model and your funding sources so that you can fulfill your organizational mission, right? And so I think a lot of the change that we've seen in the athletic director role or even generally in our in the department of athletics is about how we're able to pursue those business interests, right? So we've become a lot more sophisticated and savvy with how we can monetize our products that, that we actually can monetize, our revenue sources, um, so that we can support core mission. But what's really refreshing to me is the core mission actually hasn't changed. Um, that's become really, really stable and steady and has not changed. I think what has changed is how we're able to fund that mission and, and some of the resources we can send toward that mission. Um, but you know, I, I say it all the time. I think there's a lot of people who start in this industry because they love sports, but the people who I see who have built long, sustainable, thriving careers, they love service and they see a, they see sport as a particularly impactful arena for service. And so I think when you look at the change that athletic directors 
have encountered in the past five or 10 years, a lot of that has become with greater sophistication and new opportunities to fund our, our service model. But at the heart of it, I believe that the service model has not changed. And so I think most athletic directors would attest to, you really have to have a pretty high level of appetite for that service. And if you don't, you're going to learn pretty quickly that um, this is going to be, it's, to, to borrow a phrasing from Coach Pete, it's going to be tough sled. <laughs> I love it. And I think you're, at the end of the day, whatever is happening, um, this is true of athletics, this is true of business, but it's a people industry. If you don't like being around people, if you don't like serving people, if you don't like building up people, it, it is going to be tough sledding. It's, it's, not, it's not the industry for you. And, and I mean, let's be honest, most work is probably not for you. And leadership certainly is not for you if, the, if that is not your, your natural bent. So I, I love that. And I think to build on that, some of this is, is going to be, I think, has always been true um, of the AD role and the person who sits in that chair. Um, but some of that is shifting a little bit. What do you, what characteristics do you think are important for this next wave of ADs talking about the next five, 10, 15 years? And I say that because it feels like uh, the conversations I'm having with administrators and even coaches, they feel like people are changing. Uh, I don't think that's true. I think people have always been the same. We've just started to acknowledge that. Um, I had a strength and conditioning coach say, you know, have people always been this way or, or is this something new because i've have i've just been coaching wrong for the last 30 years and i said maybe um because you've only been coaching one way and you've been treating people as if they're all the same when people have always been different but now we're starting to acknowledge that and so our, our the leadership culture and the people piece of that is really starting to change so what characteristics do you think are important for this next generation of ad's yeah well, what an insightful question and i think the framework makes total sense too and i think first of all I, I think tracing back a little bit to to the previous discussion on the change that's already happened is i think the, the first characteristic that is just kind of a permission to play value that is a no-brainer is you really have to embrace the mission and like we talked about you know and, and, and kevin you mentioned if you don't really view people as a resource if you don't really if you're not really in alignment with the core values of, of not only the athletic department but i think the greater institution if if you're not in this to help young men and women create better opportunities for their lives it's just not going to work and so i think that's the the defining characteristic that like you know assuming you can figure all the other stuff out that's the one that you got to have and so uh, i think that's kind of a no-brainer um, and and i think the, the beauty is as i have the chance to interact with a lot of people who are, are either in those chairs or are quickly headed toward those chairs you know I think that's generally very widely accepted. I think the people we have uh, in large part in this industry are very excited about those opportunities, which is great. But I think um, I agree with you. I don't know that people have necessarily changed, but I do think that opportunities around people have changed. You know, we talk a lot here about prioritization and really simplification, particularly with student athletes. I mean, think about student athletes, just the information alone that is presented to them on a daily basis and the opportunities for social interaction and all the other things, it's overwhelming. And so I think a lot of times we end up being paralyzed in, in, in an athletic department because we have so many opportunities, whether that be a student athlete who goes through his day, who probably can't remember the last time they were bored because they have they always have a Twitter timeline or um, something else and, and trying to simplify their mission or whether it be us administratively trying to identify what our key priorities are and, and have the, the gumption and guts to say no to everything else. I think that'll be a characteristic that's really, really critical for uh, whether it be like myself as an aspiring AD or, or whoever the next generation of leaders we have in college sports are, is the ability to really prioritize what's most impactful to your mission um, and, and then to have the guts to say no to some other opportunities that may look relatively compelling at the time. 
kind of brushed on it a little bit, but do you think that that, you know, that the media landscape now, all the attention that is, is out there, everything is amplified from, from things like social media to just the way fans are um, these days. I mean, I think that pushes any specific, uh, you know, challenges on, on people who are going to be ADs. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think challenges and opportunities, because I think you have to be aware of it. I think sometimes, you know, and, and, and my background coming from communications, I think you've even been aware of some situations where some transparency, um, if you're not aware of it, has almost, people, things can get taken out of context and can be particularly dangerous. Um, so you want to be aware of it. But to me, again, I think as long as you're doing the right things and with the right purpose, that, that's a that's very much a plus. That's a huge net positive. And so I think swimming downstream with that and, and really embracing uh, new cultures of, of transparency. You know, it's 2017. We talk a lot about it here. That's one of the things, and, you know, you guys knew I was going to stump if I came on, but that's one of the things I love about working at Washington is there's such a savvy consumer, whether that be a student, prospective student athlete we're trying to recruit or a fan here or a, or a new resident in Seattle. You, know, you have access to so much information and research and consumer guides and all these things you're really not able to spend a lot these days with, with this level of transparency and media coverage and things like that. So it's really critical in my perspective that you get aligned with a brand that you really believe in and trust. Cause if you don't, you're really not going to be able to fool people into it. <laughs> and so I think that's good news, you know, and for us, particularly here at Washington, where we feel really great about what we're able to go and sell every day. I think an additional level of transparency provided you are, conducting your business in the right way is a great thing and, and preparing a leadership capacity. That's, that's good news because at that point um, that just becomes an amplifier. Um, and again, I think it's all predicated on people in this business doing it for the right reasons and doing the right things. But assuming that those boxes are checked, I think that an, an increased, you know, environment of, of media coverage or level of transparency is, is actually a huge positive. No, I agree. And if, if you're doing the right thing, you embrace that. Like, great, come, come look at us. Come, let's have a conversation because we've got nothing to hide. Are we perfect? No, nobody's perfect, but we're not, we're not hiding anything. We're not being um, disingenuous. And so that, I think for, for the leaders who are doing it right, um, the departments who are doing it right, that's a huge opportunity. For the, it, it's only a stress if you, if you have something to hide. And, and it can be stressful, of course, when you're always having to explain yourself because everyone wants information. I get that. That's more of just an annoyance than anything. Uh, but But to have the chance to, to explain yourself and to show what you're doing and open those books. Um, I think that is a, a huge opportunity for those who are doing it right. It's an environment now, I think, where the great leaders really, really rise to the top because of that transparency. They can't hide anything, whether that's coaching, whether that's an AD, whatever that may be, uh, politics, th- those who are doing it right will, will, will shine through at the end because they will last all of that, that scrutiny. There's a lot talked about, I think, um, and, and a lot of it's not necessarily true. It's, it's media hype, but of the stresses of the negativity around college sports what do you think, and, and I'm talking internally, not, not you know, the TV rights bubble or uh, any of those types of things, but, but internally within departments, and this could be true of, of Washington or just what you hear um, in conversations that you're having with, with peers, what's the biggest pain point or challenge that, that you think ADs and, and departments are facing? I, I think the thing that immediately jumps to mind for me is, and, and again, kind of going back to this model of a core organizational purpose and mission, um, but also a realistic business modeling to support that mission. Really how, and, and I may be answering this question with a little bit too much of an external slant because that's the arena that I work in every day, but really the business problem of how much of your time and resource uh, and your and that of your staff, are you dedicating toward 
monetizing the revenue and versus kind of spreading that resource across for us we have 22 different sports um, and so realistically looking at those sports only two of them generate revenue uh, and so you would love a scenario where you could kind of market and brand and 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 treat um, all of those individual sports programs equally uh, but at the end of the day uh, if you're not aggressively pursuing the opportunities to finance your, your mission, you're probably not going to have a job. And so for us, I think for me, that's something I struggle with. And it's kind of a daily push and pull and, and give and take is, is how are you able to make sure that you're taking care of the things that are going to continue to have the biggest impact on your institution, your university, and allow you, and not just you, but I think everyone in your department to serve your department's mission to the greatest extent, but also not take away from the opportunities you have that day to actually serve your mission, if that makes sense. And so really it comes down to time prioritization and resource and resource allocation, but scaling some of those solutions across 22 sports. And, and I think especially now, and again, I, I, I'm obviously looking at this through the lens of external affairs, but now that there's so many new opportunities to do that, right, with digital and social media, and uh, increased appetite for, for video content and all those other things, you know, how are you able to do that across a lot of different sports? And that's one microcosm, but I'm sure that the same applies toward, you know, the equipment office would say the same thing or um, any, any other business unit would probably tell you that spreading those solutions and, and having, having to allocate resource across 22 sports that we really hope to make as competitive as possible and are really, really, truly champions for all these different programs and want to see them succeed to their highest extent and want to be a big part of success. It's a predicament sometimes to try and figure out how to, how to re, resource allocate in the right way. When I think to, to add on that just quickly, the communication piece is massive there because what you're what you're saying is true i think of of probably every department at least um most division one departments because you've got one maybe two programs do uh, generate enough revenue they are profitable but you've still got 20 other sports or 25 other sports or whatever the number is and those coaches know that i mean they're they're not stupid they realize that um and i'm 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 going to say track, not to hate on track, but track knows that it's not football. You know, it knows that it's not basketball. No matter how much success it may have, it may be, they may win championships year after year after year. They also know they're not football or basketball, but they still have pride. They're still showing up and putting in the same amount of work that football and basketball are putting in. So how do you communicate that? The the steps that you take to allocate certain resources, um, even though they may know it's right, that still can hurt. Um, and they're still prideful. So how do you communicate that to make sure everyone's still on board um, and they still feel valued? Yeah, and I think a lot of it, to me, comes down to um, it, it's a trust thing. Um, and, you know, it's it's no different than, you know, I think one of the things um, that, that Jen Cohen, our, our athletic director here, has done so well is she's kind of earned the trust of 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 our department and, and in turn, she's been able to hold us really accountable. Um, and, and not that we're holding our sports accountable, but I think at the end of the day, um, you know, it's all about expectation setting and, and, and delivering those expectations, but there does come an extent where you can't fully communicate, you know, okay, down to the tweet exactly what the expectations are going to be. So unless there's an underlying sense of trust that at the end of the day, we, we really are champions for these programs. And, and want them to be as, as successful as they possibly can. Um, it's tough to it's tough to quantify exactly what those expectations will be. I think we need to drive pretty far down that road, but we also need to work really hard to make sure our coaches understand. To your point, Kevin, about communication, that we are champions for them and, and we want the best for what they're trying to accomplish. And if we can nail that, you, the other stuff tends to kind of take care of itself. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and you talked a little bit about uh, Jen in Washington, and you've, you mentioned the opening. You know, you had a couple other um, ADs you've had the opportunity to work for. Who are the ADs out in the space that you know are there um, that you really admire, and and why why do you admire them? Mark, I've been really lucky in that I've worked for a lot of ADs that I, I admire, and that's not always the case, right? I had somebody once tell me you should be able to learn some things from everyone that you work for. Sometimes what you're learning is what you don't want to do in certain situations. And sometimes it's it's exactly how you want to handle them. But I've, I've really been lucky and that I've had a lot of athletic directors uh, who I admire. And, um, you know, Scott Woodward, who's at Texas A&M now, ultimately was responsible for hiring me here and was very intentional in growing me here, uh, taught me, prioritization taught me strategic visioning um, helped me really understand I think our business model in a way that I didn't before and was very gracious to helping me there I can't say enough great things about Jen Cohen here we probably would need a whole nother episode I mean she's unbelievable and I think particularly an unbelievable fit for what we need right now her I've never been around anyone with a a greater sense of emotional intelligence than she has. She really understands coaches. She's very gifted that way and can communicate them, communicate with them um, really uh, efficiently, directly. Um, and she does earn a huge level of trust uh, and she's able to hold people accountable because they believe that she's really champions for them. I mean, the, the energy that she's infused us with here at Washington and, and just, you know, just short of over or just over a year, it's been unbelievable and, and really I'm so grateful every day to just get a window into that and to, to be able to work for her and to be able to learn from her. I worked for a guy named Alan Verlander who's who's now out of our business but at Jacksonville and he was he taught me a lot just about life. And then I think um, you know, Jeremy Foley, who's just recently retired at Florida, is he is a legend for how he treats people. Um and I'm a huge believer that people is 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 by far our our most valuable resource and it's not even close. Uh and uh, and so that's something I definitely aspire to emulate um, if I'm given the chance to do so in an athletic director's chair. He was really remarkable about that. Um, and so I think those are people who I've worked for. And, and at the end of the day, I tend to draw back to, um, you know, there's so many different uh, things from that, that can influence outside impacts that can influence an athletic director's tenure for better or for worse, whether that be programmatic success, uh, whether it be, you know, financial issues at a university encounters, there's so many things that can impact your tenure and make it look better or worse. So I tend to evaluate more on, uh, less on what someone's doing and more on why they're doing it. And so, um, if, and when I get the opportunities to sit with ADs and explore their, their purpose convictions and things that really drive them, that's, those are the things that inspire me. And I think you find those qualities in, in, in most ADs, to be honest with you, because, to echo the earlier sentiment, you really, I don't think that you last in this business if you don't have a service mentality. What do you think, um, there are our industry, I'm still, I'm technically an outsider, but I feel like I've been in this industry. Now for, for, <laughs> I like thinking myself as an insider, but I'm, I'm still an outsider, which is okay. But there's a lot of turnover in, in this industry, right? I mean, people are, are moving jobs all the time. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes they're just looking out for themselves. Sometimes, though, it truly is a better opportunity that they should chase and, and their champion to go go do that. You, know, you guys have had had turnover, good, good and bad, from from top to bottom. How do you create a consistent culture with so much turnover? How do, how do you maintain when new people are coming in, old people are going out? 
how do you maintain that consistency within culture and how do you onboard new people saying, hey, this is who we are, this is what we're about. Obviously, that is part of the hiring process or it should be if, if departments are doing it well. Um, but then once they're actually there, what are you doing to make sure they're integrated into that culture really well? Yeah, I think the first thing is, well, and, and hats off to you for identifying, I mean, that, that is like paramount. You know, the process of, of recruitment and retention of talent is like probably number one on my list of priorities. Um, because as we alluded to earlier, if you have the right people, you can make it work. Um, oftentimes I think we jump to a facilities cure or uh, a financial cure. And, and, um, I don't know that those are necessarily necessarily as directly correlated with success as, um, assembling a, a, a really talented group of people. So for us, it's a, it's an enormous priority and I can really only speak to what we've built at Washington here, but a lot of it is just about an awareness of what your culture actually is and what it aspirationally is. And so for us, I think understanding, you know, you gotta be realistic and, um, you know, there's factors and a lot of them are going to be positive and some of them aren't going to be positive. It's, it's pretty expensive to live in the city right now. Right. So that's from a recruitment standpoint, that's a reality that, that we face at the same time. It's a, it's one of only a handful of major flagship state institutions and in top 15 media markets. And so that's a positive. So we position that, but, but having a really good grasp on the positioning, the, the realistic positioning of, of, I think your department as well as specific opportunities. And then aspirationally where you want to get ideally is, is also critical because you want people to understand what the vision is so that they can develop and start to understand if it's aligned with what their personal vision for themselves is. And so I think Ideally, when you look at, and by the way, I mean, you mentioned it, but it's not necessarily a bad thing, you know, um, to have this level of turnover. I think as long as you're aware that that's going to be the case, you know, a lot of times that's how, that's how we're designed. You know, we've been through that process many, many times where we have a staff member who does get a great opportunity and, and they get here and we're able to help them develop over a period of years and they contribute great work. They make, they, they leave it better than they found it, so to speak. And then they're offered a better opportunity. And, and that's how the process should work. I mean, that's a, that's a positive. That's not something that we want to run from, but we do want to be really, really prepared for when that day comes. And so I think, you know, you always kind of want to have a list. I always challenge my uh, business units to have, have a list. You know, if somebody gets hit by a bus, you want to have a list of the next five guys you would love or gals you would love to have in that position. And so um, ideally, you kind of have a leg up of some people who you may want to approach. Um, but at minimum, I think you need, to, you need to have a great feel for your culture and what it needs to be. Because um, if you're just kind of opening up the job and, and hoping for the best, you're going to end up with a pretty average result, I believe. Uh, and, and, and you may get someone who's qualified for the job, but we're looking for cultural alignments. And, and so unless, you, unless you're intentional about that on the front end, that's going to be tough, you know, and, and I think that's something we look to replicate, you know, whether it's, whether it's gen hiring coaches or, or us hiring administrators, that process, I think is something we need to be great at really, you know, to answer your question more directly, the way that we instill cultural consistency through turnover is we got to be great at the recruitment and retention process, period. And so knowing who we are, knowing who we want and who we don't want, and then keeping the people here and presenting a compelling vision of growth for them, that's how we become organizationally great, I believe. 
Switching gears a little bit, you know, I'd love to hear uh, and talk to people about uh, kind of the routines and the and the way they go about their job. And, and you know, before we start recording, you were talking about that, you know, you've been up for a while and gotten your workout in already, and it's it's only 8 o'clock on the, on the West Coast. But talk a little bit about your routines, you know, the kind of the way you work, the way you manage all the things that you have on your plate, and um, any tips you have about, about those kind of habits and routines. Oh, man, I'm such a nerd with this stuff. I'm a huge uh, ritual routine guy, positive ritual guy, I call it, and have read some really powerful stuff on it. Uh, the Powerful Engagement is, was a book that really hit home for me in terms of energy management and um, positive rituals and uh, rituals, which is still positive behavior. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge morning guy. I uh, My wife is um, a special ed teacher, and, um, and back when we were in Florida, I learned that... Um, we weren't really going to have any quality time in the morning. And so, uh, but the evenings we could, we could have dinner and, and, uh, and spend some time together. And so I knew I kind of wanted to put in some extra burn. And so ever since then, I've always been just kind of getting after it early in the morning. Um, and then hopefully getting home at a reasonable hour. But when you do that, I think it allows you, it allows me to reconnect with again, that deeper purpose that really should drive a lot of the work that you do. And so, you know, for me, that looks like hopefully exercising a little bit, doing a little meditation and some journaling and some encouragement journaling, I think, and then trying to read for about a half an hour in the morning for other people that probably would look differently. But I think at the heart of it, it's all about really trying to refocus on why you're doing what you're doing before you actually started to get into the day of tasks, so to speak. And I think for me, the morning is great for that because if you can kind of beat everybody to the punch, <laughs> the emails haven't quite built up, you know, maybe quite as much as, as they would in the afternoon. But yeah, I'm, I'm really big. My wife would joke if, uh, if she would laugh if, you, if she knew this was a question being asked of me because I'm really huge on, on ritual and, uh, and rhythm and very big on establishing habits. I believe that kind of if you can lock a lot of those things up, it frees a lot of your hard drive space to focus on some of the other problems that you have going on. Um, and you're not, you're not trying to make those decisions every day. So I'm a huge belief in that. Have loved Greg McCown's book, Essentialism. I don't know if you guys have read that. Has, has totally reframed a lot of our thinking here in terms of like living by design rather than default. Uh, and one of the things I think that's important to me is, um, you know, I think a lot of people do these personal and professional core values exercises which we encourage here and coach Peterson's done with his football team and staff. And I think that's an awesome first step, but the next step for me, I think, and what I'm really working on now is how, how are those values or are those values aligned and reflected in the way that you spend your time? So, you know, if you looked at the end of a Friday, if you looked at your week and how you spent your week, is that really a reflection, a true reflection of what you said your values were. And for me, more often than not, the answer is no, because I think we all get pushed and pulled in so many different directions. And, you know, to an extent, I think sometimes we have control over our schedules and sometimes we don't. But when we do, I want to be really intentional about setting those schedules and setting that time um, in, in the way that's going to help me truly tackle my biggest priorities. Well, I think that hits on, you said the word that we use on this podcast probably 20 times per podcast, but intentional versus accidental, right? You can hope those things happen. You can hope that you have time for you. You can hope that you have time to read or meditate or journal, whatever, whatever your thing is, um, or you can actually do it, right? You can schedule it out. You can be intentional. And we all have the excuse that we're busy, right? That's, that's life. We're all busy. We all have things to do. I know you're a dad. So we, you have kids getting in the way. You've got work getting in the way. A lot of things can 
can get in your way. But you're, you're one of many examples that we're starting to see of people saying, that's fine, but I, I can still make time for me. And I have to make time for me. If I, if I don't, the rest of the stuff is chaos and it's stressful. If I make time for me, everything else falls in line. Doesn't mean that stress doesn't happen. Doesn't mean that things don't go wrong, but you're in a better place mentally to address those things, to deal with people, to deal with, with issues throughout the day. And so I, I love that. It's just, again, going back to that idea of being intentional versus accidental. Um, and you have to make time for you. And the, and the benefits, I mean, they're, they're ridiculous. People won't talk about ROI. Like the ROI of making time for you is, is almost immeasurable. It's, it's so ridiculous. Kevin, let me interrupt because that's yeah. something that I've actually had to, I've had to learn that, you know, mm-hmm. I think I, when I really first started in this business and, you know, it's so funny as an administrator, because you're one of coaches a lot and those guys are the hardest drivers of it all. Right. But actually coach Pete's really, really good about this. Um, and has kind of, um, instilled some maturity in me in terms of like, to me, the most important thing of, of our work is how you treat people. And there, there comes a point where when you reach a certain level of sleep deprivation, or you reach a certain level of uh, whatever that is, when you're grinding so hard, that that actually begins to affect your ability to treat people the right way. And when that happens, you can't afford that. And so on the one hand, while it would be awesome if, if we only required three hours of sleep and we could be productive and get the, the other things done or whatever, wouldn't that be great? But realistically speaking, you have to be honest with yourself and understand and have the self-awareness to know, wait a second, when I'm, when I'm this exhausted for whatever reason or when I don't have that time to connect with my purpose, that's actually starting to impact the way that I treat people and interact with people. And that's the most important thing, uh, professionally speaking. And I think a lot of times people lose sight of that because they think that that's invincible and that doesn't change. Yeah, the way I treat people is just the way I treat people. Well, yeah, until you just worked an all-nighter or whatever that is and you're, you're exhausted and then maybe you don't realize that the way you're processing that conversation is different than it would have been. And so I've had to take a step back and kind of rethink a lot of my methods um, and to make sure I'm taking care of myself and I am building in that intentional space uh, that you talked about so that I can make sure that my top priority, which is treating people the right way, is is a given. Um, and then you can start to chip away at some of the other things. Well, and it's you can either make time intentionally to rest and recharge or your body will force you to do that. Eventually, <laughs> you, say, like, you, you have to stop. You can't keep going. And it's much better if you build those times in as opposed to like, your body or your boss saying, you know what? Game over. <laughs> Time to shut down, take a break. We're, we're sick of being around you. Cause that's, you're right. That's what happens under that stress. We're not ourselves. And so we, we get our, our temper gets shorter. Our patience gets shorter. Um, and so I, and I think mornings doesn't have to be morning, but I think that's such a crucial time because that sets the tone for, for the rest of your day. So I, I love that you're doing that and, and, and hope people listening, see that example. And Again, that's not being selfish. Now, if that, if that time is becoming a burden on people, then we have issues. But it's saying, hey, like, I need to make time for me because if you want my best, I've, I've got to be recharged. I can't be at my best when I'm on an empty tank. And so that actually is fighting for the good of your team. When you do that, your team can follow suit because they can say, wait a minute, I can, I can do that too. And so leaders define culture and leaders set the tone. So they're saying, hey, I'm, I'm taking time for me. I want you to make sure you're doing the same because I need you at your best. And so I love, 
I love that you're doing that. Yeah, this has been this is an awesome conversation, Carter. Really appreciate you know you being so generous with your time and, and talking to us today. So why don't we close up uh, kind of with the last question, um, and that would be for people who are sitting out there and maybe kind of strive to be an AD someday in the college space, you know, um, wherever they are in the organization right now. But what would you tell a group if, if you were in front of one saying, you know, these are people who want to be ADs? What, what's the biggest advice or the things that they should work on and really improve on? Really interesting question. Um, and obviously, from my perspective, I can't wait to hear what some of these ADs say, because it's at, at this point for me, it's all guesswork. But I can tell you some of the things that I'm intentionally working on uh, as I'm in pursuit of that chair. Uh, I think the first thing is we've talked a lot about here is, is, is time and priority management. Um, you know, and I think that's one of the things that is, is you know, I have been pretty um, aggressive and intentional about having conversations with people who are first-time ADs um, and soliciting a lot of this advice. And, and, and that's one of the things I think that they've reiterated to me is it's almost hard to communicate the difference in time demands that you see as, as a first-time athletic director, particularly in a Power 5 conference. And so trying to be somewhat prepared for that. Um, you know, we just went even through a high-profile uh, head coaching change in men's basketball here and so getting a really close window into coach uh, Mike Hopkins and his transition as a longtime assistant coach into a first-time head coach and seeing some of the time demands. At one point, he had over 2,000 unread text messages. That first you know, 30 to 60 days is, is such a whirlwind. And so for a guy like me, who's, who's very much a planner and, you know, like how can I craft a plan literally for when I make that transition? And, and you know, there's some things that are going to be organically developed depending on your situation, but there's also things that probably would be pretty consistent regardless of the, the, the institution that you, you land in. And so trying to understand what that, I, I think that that first 30 to 60 to hundred days are like critical in establishing a lot of the culture and uh, making sure that you have the right personnel around you. And, and I've experienced a couple of times not here, but just um, observing our, our industry a little bit, sometimes it's moving so fast that you deprioritize, okay, well, we'll just bring this person in because we got to get somebody in that SCBA spot or we got to get somebody in this, you know. Well, if you can mitigate the pressures of the, those time demands a little bit that to allow you to really dedicate a little more focus to getting those hires exactly how you need them to be, the little things like that. So I think having a plan for, um, you know, your first a uh, half year on the job or so, I think is something I want to, I want to give a lot of thought to. The other thing I think that's interesting that right now, like we spend so much of our time, I think as, as, as administrators, aspiring ADs, honing our skills and sharpening our spears in, in problem solving. And so we want to be great problem solvers and we want to be versatile problem solvers that, you know, I can start solving problems in communication. If I'm given the opportunity to solve marketing problems, I think I'm going to be able to figure that out and then I'll solve those problems. And, and then I, if, given other opportunities, I'll continue to solve those problems. And, and that's a really, really valuable skill set and it's necessary. But some of the feedback I've heard from first-time EDs is while you'll always be solving problems, a lot of that chair is more about deciding what are the most critical problems um, to solve first and, and how much resource can we dedicate to solving this problem versus that problem. Um, and that's kind of a different deal. You know, you think about coaches who have made the transition from, you know, like an offensive coordinator to a head coach and, and you're going from essentially coaching players to kind of coaching coaches and it's a whole different mentality. And so I think for me, what that means now is, 
how, how can I be intentional before I get into that chair about understanding and looking laterally as much as I can and working with my colleagues and, and understanding the big pain points that compliance has and understanding the, the goals for the next fiscal year that academics has and, and getting a, a basic grasp of what some of those priorities look like so that when you're finally in that chair, you're not totally drinking from a fire hose and you, and you have some semblance um, of, of what to prioritize and how that seems like it's been a, it's a, it's presents a pretty steep learning curve for people who, who make that transition. And so for a guy like me, it's something I want to spend a lot of time working on on the front end so that again, I can kind of mitigate the effects of that and make sure I'm giving myself as, as great of a chance as I can be to be successful. Uh, and so those are a couple things. I'm a huge believer in just emotional intelligence. Again, I think the way you treat people doesn't, uh, shouldn't change. Um, I think that's like the most important thing we can do. Uh, so continuing to always build on that. It's, it's such a people industry. That's what's going to make you successful. Um, so, you know, working with people, leading people, developing a vision for an organization. Um, I think any interpersonal investments you can make, um, if you're a person who wants to be an athletic director, if you're going to kind of invest in yourself, which you should be, the ability to develop your interpersonal skills is always going to be time and money well spent. Carter, thank you so much for, for hanging out, for spending some time with us, sharing your wisdom, your experience, your thoughts. Uh, I mean, 40 minutes, 45 minutes of information that I, I, mean, I think will just be crazy valuable for, for anyone in the athletics industry who's thinking about being in that AD chair. It doesn't matter that you're not in that chair. You, you clearly think a lot about it. What I think is really impressive and, and is necessary for, for those who want to be in that type of position is it's not that you just show up every day and do your job. You're also thinking about the bigger picture, right? You're showing up, doing what's in front of you, serving the people around you, but also thinking, how does this play into the bigger picture, um, which is what I think an AD needs. They need to understand how all those pieces are moving together. Um, so I think people will learn a lot from, uh, from information and wisdom that, that you've shared with us. And I'm so grateful for you guys letting me visit a little bit, and I really appreciate what you guys do. And I think it does help us who are aspiring to get in that to take a step back and reevaluate and make sure we're on the right track. So totally appreciate what you guys do and, and, and the chance to hang out a little bit. So thanks again to Carter Henderson. It's been a great conversation. Um, great things we can we can all implement, whether we're um, you know just getting started in our careers or we're more established. Uh, ways to be intentional, ways to uh, to think about it. We got some some book recommendations and and uh, overall a great conversation. Just so good. And and again, we're grateful for Carter taking time uh, out of his busy day to to share his wisdom and his insight and his story with us. Up next in this series, we are going to have um, what I think will be another great conversation with Chris Freet. Senior Associate AD for External Operations and Strategic Communications at the University of Arkansas. Another great guy, another really great leader in our industry um, who will have some really unique insights on, on the modern AD, the next generation AD. So make sure you tune in to episode 16. Should be coming out soon. Uh, again, if you guys are enjoying the Sports Leadership Podcast, review and rate it on iTunes. And I would also say make sure you're sharing it with your staff. I think creating a culture of learning is really important. And so giving resources to your staff and, and having them um, learn from people in their industry about what it, what it looks like um, to succeed, to be a great leader, to create great culture in college athletics. Thank you guys so much for listening. Again, this is episode 15 of the Sports Leadership Podcast. We'll see you guys soon.